I am the door of the sheep. That's where we are. John chapter 10. Turn to John chapter 10. I want you to begin lodging in your brain that there are some chapters in the Bible that are really, really uh, powerful. If I say John 15 to a Bible student or, uh, or to just, just to a, an astute Christian, they would immediately think, oh, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's what John 15 and abide in me and all those great rich texts John chapter 7, when you hear that, I want you to think after today, the door of the sheep, and I want you to think of the good shepherd. This is the chapter on Jesus being the good shepherd. And we're going to take the first 10 verses, I'm going to read it, and we're going to pick it apart. And in two weeks, we're taking a break from the I am's next week for Mother's Day. In two weeks, we'll get to Jesus the good shepherd, which is, which is all here in, in John chapter 10 as well. All right, with that in mind, let me, let me get you uh, thinking for a second. I want you to think back on how many doors you used this past week. Go back exactly one week, okay? And I want you to think through how many doors you have used, okay? Um, How many think, by raise of hands, how many think maybe it's in the five range? You've used five doors this week. Five distinct different doors, okay? How about 10? No hands, by the way. How about 10 doors? Anyone used 10 doors this week, you think? Kind of a weird question. You don't think about this very often. How about 15 doors? Any takers on 15 doors? 20? Okay, a couple hands at 20, 25, 25, 30, 30. I was just in Montana, like cattle. Uh, 30, maybe 25, 30 range. How about 50 or more? You think you've been in 50 or more doors this week? Anyone? Okay, so somewhere between zero and 50. Is that about right? Okay. I was traveling this week. I have easily been in more than 50 doors this last week. It was a unique, distinct week. Um, I also went through three or four different states uh, this week. So that's kind of, kind of unique. Here's why I bring up doors. How many times this week, in one week, how many times did you stop and give thanks for the door? Anyone? Anyone do that once? Me neither. Um, How many of you thought much about the doors? Anyone? Have you thought at all about doors until I started talking about doors a couple minutes ago? No! I mean, it's kind of crazy, actually. Um... When you think about doors, we're going to look at, 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 the, at the purpose of doors. Like, how do they serve us? Why are they important? Um, and, and, and it's interesting because um, Jesus calling himself the door of the sheep, this is something we use every single day and yet rarely give it much thought and probably almost never stop and give thanks for it. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. The door Something we use every day and rarely think about or give thanks to it. That's Jesus to a lot of people. I hope it's not true of Christians. But that's Jesus to a lot of people. Blessing and and all these rich things are actually coming from using doors every single day. And never once stopping and giving thanks for the door. Uh, It seems a really humble and intriguing title to give to himself. Other people didn't call him the door. He said, I am the door of the sheep. So humble and intriguing. Isn't that just like Jesus? I mean, that's what I've come to expect of Jesus. A title he's going to pick for himself is humble and it's intriguing. And we're going to kind of, kind of lean into this and sort of look at this for a moment. All right, so think of these I am statements for a moment. Oops, I got ahead of myself. Um, we're, we're looking at the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Uh, they're, they're honing in on who Jesus is. And as we figure out who Jesus is in our ongoing walk in this Christian faith, we are learning who God is. Remember, Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. I was discussing the Trinity yesterday with my um, seven, uh, seven, 10, and 15-year-old. And they were just peppering me with great questions and I'm like, well, it's sort of like this, and it's kind of like that. And I'm like, this is really mysterious. Like, again, I would never have come up with the Trinity. It is beyond my grasp to, to fully understand it. But what we know is this. Who is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We just talked about the anointing, the filling, that, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is, is present with us. What we're looking at is Jesus, distinct from the Father, as as one of the persons of the Trinity, and yet the exact imprint of his nature, according to Hebrews, okay? So if this makes your brain hurt at 9.31 in the morning, good, 
Honestly, like that's a really good thing. This is not a God in my own image. This is not a God of my making. We are looking at the great I am that we just sang about. We're trying to get our heads around who this is. All right, by way of review, Jesus was questioned a lot. In fact, Andres last week showed us in John 7. Question, 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 question. He was questioned a lot. Sometimes he did things and people goes, who is this guy? Who are you, Jesus? And you know what? When he would answer, a follow-up question would sometimes come. Who do you think you are? It's a different question than who are you? They didn't like his answer. Periodically, they asked who he was, and then they wanted to kill him on the spot because they didn't like his answer. So Jesus got this a bunch. There's still confusion on who Jesus is. So the seven I am statements are part of his answer. It's not the definitive thing, but they build and layer upon each other. Each one of the I am statements harkens back to the name that God gave to Moses out of the burning bush. Who am I supposed to tell the people sent me? What does God say? He says, tell them that I am who I am is sending you. That's my name. And then he attaches what he does. I brought you out of the land of slavery. That's who is talking to you. So as we look at each of the I am statements, let me bring this to you immediately. Each of the I am statements about Jesus actually informs us of who we are. We sing this song, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. What's the next refrain? I am loved by you. That is who I am. I think one of the most important things about me, my name means beloved, David. The most important thing about me is I am loved by God. Honestly, like I I think about this almost every day. That is my foundational identity. That's who I am. So as we look at the I am statements of Jesus, realize if you're open to it, you're actually gaining a sense of your identity. You you might be calling back to yourself, to mind a sense of your identity and who you are, okay? So I am the door of the sheep, John chapter 10. Listen carefully. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, all right? John 10, 1, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus talking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, before we get into the sort of nuts and bolts of this, like the actual meaning and text of it, let me just point out something. Do you hear the repetition in this passage? John 10, 1 through 10, 10 verses, he says repeatedly, I'm the door, I'm the door. Notice how often Jesus teaches, um, and then it's not understood, and then he kind of tries it again. He kind of says, well, let me see if this helps, and he explains it in a different way. Andres brought this up last week. It was there in chapter 7. Again, Jesus said to them, and then he says the same exact thing. Here in verse, I think it's in seven, Jesus said to them, Jesus again said to them, and he sort of, let me me try and get it to you this way. Here's why I want to bring that up. If you're a parent here this morning, if you're a teacher this morning, if you're a mentor in some way, do not tire of the good work of teaching. Teaching feels very repetitious. Over and over and over, you say the same thing. I have my mom in the room this morning. My mom said regularly to me, I sound like a broken record, right? And she just would say over and over and over again, the same thing. So repetition, do not tire of the good work. Jesus did it. It takes loads of patience. It takes loads of repeating the same thing you already told them. 
But don't do it in a more and more exasperated way. Try doing it in a way, hey, let me see if this helps. Come over here. Let me show you this. Jesus was so good at that. So, so repetition. Secondly, students, kids, congregation, mentorees, whoever you are as you're receiving, don't get discouraged by the fact that you don't get it. Do you ever feel frustrated in your spiritual walk? You're like, why didn't I see that in the scriptures? Why don't I get this? Why am I having a hard time understanding that? Well, it might be it's because it's the Trinity and it's really hard to understand. It's way beyond our capacity. But it may be just the way of life. Isn't Jesus like certifiably the winner of the teacher of the year every year? I mean, he's the perfect teacher. And his students didn't get it. Those who were receiving the instruction, seeing the mustard seed, seeing the well, whatever he was teaching, all the object lessons, he brought every faculty to mind, and they didn't understand. So there is a, there is a fog of learning. There's a spiritual component to this. Realize when you walk in, realize when you click online and say, I'm going to start watching about church, there are actually forces working against you understanding this. Okay? So, so just don't get discouraged by that. So sheep, pasture, doors, shepherd, bad guys, what is Jesus getting at? Okay. If you're taking notes, and by the way, I always take notes because in part, because it's like a weakness of mine. I stay more engaged when I am doing something. I know this about myself. So I sit and write things down. Um, my daughter draws a lot of things. I love finding her notes because I'm like, wow, that's my sermon in pictures. She could have just drawn that. We could have all sat there, had cool music going and be done. So anyway, whatever helps you um, take it. So let me give you some key terms or ideas. First is the sheep flock shepherd metaphor. We already saw, like, just from the opening of the service, that uh, sheep in a flock are one of the metaphors of God's own people. And we're going to look at that more in two weeks. He calls out his special possession. We are his portion, and he is our prize. I am my beloved's, and he is, and, and he is mine. It's this, it's this special relationship. That's not just Old Testament, though. Jesus picks up on this, teaches it in the New Testament, as we see in John 10. And the New Testament actually carries this forward as one of the metaphors of the church. We did a church series in here a long, long time ago called Church in HD. That was when high definition was the big thing. You can kind of tell by sermon titles what was big. And Church in HD was saying, like, let's take a really close, high definition, close look at the church. Flock was one of the metaphors we looked at. It's one of the handful of metaphors that the New Testament teaches about it. When, when God says that he is building a church, I will build my church, Jesus says. It's not a statement about architecture. It's not a statement about floor plans and permits with the city. It is talking about building up and gathering a people. So this flock metaphor really works. Again, in two weeks, we'll look at I am the good shepherd, which adds whole new layers to this. How about door and gatekeeper? Let's look at that for a second. Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life or I'm the light of the world. Aren't those more accessible than the door? I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of like, you know, there's, there's light of the world church. There's, there's bread, bread of life church. There's the good shepherd church. I don't think I've seen a church that talks about the door of the sheep. I don't know. It just seems like there's a little bit more work to kind of get at. I had you think about doors already. They're really vitally important, but we tend not to think about them. Unless they're broken, right? Unless you, unless you can't get in for some reason. Um, our fourth child uh, that joined our family the old-fashioned way, biologically, um, my wife was pregnant. We kind of knew the routine. We lived about a half mile from Good Samaritan Hospital down the road from here. Um, and so my wife was kind of well-tuned to Braxton Hicks and fakes and all that. So she's like, okay, honey, it's time. And it was like three in the morning. And I go, okay, this is it. We're ready. Um, and so we got in the car. We drove, you know, one and a half minutes down the street. We pulled into Good Samaritan where we've already had three births and uh, grabbed the stuff. We're all good to go. We go walking in and the door's locked. I'm like, the door is locked to Good Samaritan? Like, this is the same door I've gone in all the time. So it's three in the morning. There is not a soul at Good Samaritan Hospital in the parking lot. We almost made the news because Tegan was almost born in the parking lot. I went to every door at Good Samaritan. I'm running around like a mad person going, you know, strive to enter the door that brings life. I'm trying. The door that brings life is the door to the hospital so my wife can give birth. I cannot get in. I am striving to get in. I mean... The ER at Good Samaritan, I almost hired a helicopter to land on the roof 
And then they would be like, okay, we got to get, get this home. I don't even remember quite how we got in there. At some point, someone heard the banging, the frantic, the whatever, uh, and we got into the door. I don't think about doors until they're not working. All of a sudden, you're like, doors are really important. And did you notice I kept trying doors? I didn't try to break through the wall. I didn't go through the roof or the basement. I tried the door because doors are super, super important. Let's think about doors for one second. So a sheepfold, again, we're, we don't live in this, this mindset. So let me just give you a, a second. The, the sheepfold mentioned in verse 1. Commonly a courtyard near a house, kind of bordered by a stone wall. This is where a family or several families might gather and say, that's where our sheep are going to be kept. And sheepfolds often had a formal door or a gate, a very specific point of entry. All the rest of it was meant to do what? To keep sheep from wandering, because that's what sheep do. So it was protection, and it was kept from wandering. And so then someone would be guarding the door or the entrance. So verse 3, the gatekeeper would be either a hired person to stand and watch, a family member to stand and watch, or the shepherd himself. So let's think about this for a second. We don't have these either. But here's a doorman on Park City in New York. If you go to New York, never been there, but there are doormen. I've watched Seinfeld. So I, I know that there's, you know, there's doormen that stand there. What are they hired to do? Let me hear it. To open the door, but what else? Keep people out, Keep people out let the right people in. They're, they're, to, to, they're, they're hired to watch over that entry, right? And even more than that, they're, they're employed to kind of watch the coming and going of that. So, so think doormen to a, to a building. They don't have an army of SWAT team guarding every last point. Why? Because a point of entry and exit is what you need to, to, to guard and watch and pay attention. Now think about for a moment. Let's say you have a 24 uh, floor high rise building, super high end, and there's a doorman dressed like this. He looks pretty fancy. I don't know. Let's say you show up one day and the owner is standing out there. I'd imagine he's dressed to the nines and he's sitting there watching and giving watch over it. That's sort of the mental contrast I want you to put in your head of the hired person, the gatekeeper, versus the shepherd himself watching over the door of the sheep, okay? So now here's what Jesus does, because this is what Jesus is. He takes it a step further and sort of like brings us into mind-bending creativity and he calls himself not just the gatekeeper or not just the shepherd, although he alludes to those things, but he calls himself the actual door. I am the door. I am the gate. Not just the doorman, but the door itself. Now, this is pretty cool. Here's where my brain went this, this week, especially with this image in mind. You know, we're, we're called to be in Christ. And I thought, man, the next time I'm in a revolving door, I'm just going to go around and around and go, I'm in Christ. Like right now, I'm in Christ. I'm in a door. Anyway, you can join me if you want. That would be fun. Um, I might get kicked out of New York if I do that. We'll get more on that in a bit. Let's, let's do one more key term, and that is the bad guys. Jesus brings up villains. Why does he do that? Because your story has a villain. All stories have a villain. It's actually cruel and unusual punishment not to teach your children that there are bad guys in the world, that there are bad women in the world. And you say, well, that's scary, though. Of course it's scary. But you bring them along. You bring them along with what they can handle. So Jesus loves us, and so he brings up the bad guys. Some of you are like, yeah, no kidding, there's villains. And you're sitting here like, you can name them. You know the situations that come to mind. Others of you might be living in a season where you go, don't talk about that. I want to talk about pleasant things. When you hear the word thief, I want you to think those who sneak in. There are some that try to sneak in. That's the thief. Whereas robber are those who just break in. There are bad guys who try to do it covertly, and there are people who just bash through the front door and do it by force. It's true in your life, in your daily life. It's true on the news. Certainly true spiritually and in the church. Okay, there's some sort of foundational terms just to get us in our head. How, how come a door? Why a door, and how does this specifically care for the sheep? In your community group this week, or if you're not in a group, I'd encourage you to get in a group, but if not, use these questions as just one of your devotional times this week. But I ask you this question. How, how is a door, all these different ways we're going to look at that a door serves us, we're not going to take time here to do it, but how does that 
line up with needs that you must have as a sheep. So let me say it this way. Each way the door provides for us indicates a need that sheep have. So do you see that learning about who Jesus is actually shows us who we are? It indicates needs in our life that we might not think are needs. So to learn about Jesus' door teaches us realities about us as sheep. So first and foremost, the door provides life. Jesus came to provide eternal life, salvation. But what I want to show you is this. I want to show you from the text that Jesus as the door of the sheep is about way more than just eternal life. It's about the abundant life. It's way more than just salvation, getting in on the good things of God and then being done with it. It's actually about the realities of the huge abundant life Jesus invites us into. To say it a different way, Jesus invites us to thrive here and now, not just survive. More on that in a bit. Verse 9, here's part of where I'm getting this. Verse 9, look at it. I am the door. He's already said this. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so here's how I've broken down this morning. I want to give you two ways that the abundant life um, is provided by a door specifically. Okay? And then I'm going to close very quickly with two very distincts, uh, very clear distinctions about this particular door. So number one, if you're taking notes, the first fill-in is right here. The door provides security. The door provides security. Let me give you two thoughts on what it is. Security as in protection. So protection is a kind of security. When you think security detail, uh, security guard, they're providing protection. Right? So that's, that's a kind of security that's provided. What on earth do you need protection from? Well, you need protection from wolves. You're a sheep. You're pretty helpless in a fight against wolves. We intentionally are singing a lot of songs this morning. We just sang it. Jesus, you are my victory. You are the one that's going to win this thing. You need protection from wolves. You also need it from thieves and from robbers. You need protection from false shepherds. Who are those? Those are the people who are calling out. The sheep don't listen to them. They're strangers. When you hear a strange teaching, a strange word, you ought to run from that. That's a dangerous person. There are people actively trying to lure away the sheep. So we need protection. The door provides security, protection. Isn't it true that not all who want into the pen have good intention? (laughs) Of course it is. The door and gatekeeper provide protection for that. This is true at every door you could possibly think of. It's why we have locks on our doors. It's true of the doorman. Part of the doorman's job is to not let people in who would cause harm. Just read an incredible book called Men and Women in the Church by Kevin DeYoung. It's a really excellent read. I think I'm going to have our elders go through it. It's a phenomenal thing. But one of the things that it's bringing up is, man, as, as children, you are training your children up into what does it mean to be a Christian? And then what does it mean to be a Christian little girl and a Christian little boy? There are distinctions to our gender. We have a culture that's washing that all away in the name of equality and compassion, all kinds of other things. Well, men, I want to tell you the protection instinct that you have, whether you are married or unmarried right now, if God leads you to have a wife and potentially children, you have a protection instinct. Every man in our culture would be shamed if he was walking down the street with his wife and children and someone jumped out and they went taking off the other direction. My wife and I were on a date one time right up near Pier 39 And we were watching the Bushman. Maybe you've seen the Bushman up there. It's a really simple gig where he just hides behind a bush. He sits there like this with two branches. And there's all these people busily walking along Ghirardelli Square and that kind of thing. And and he'll just sit there until like, you know, people don't know he's there. And he just goes, he just kind of leans out into someone. And it's hysterical. We sat there like we're pretty cheap. So we just, I guess, free entertainment for us. We probably gave him a couple bucks. But there's even a crowd of people, and you'll be walking along, and then he'll do that. There was one time this giant burly guy, looks like a football player, was walking with his tiny, tiny girlfriend or wife on his left side. Bushman jumps out, no joke, he goes, and he jumps out and swings her in front. Shame or honor? 
shame. I mean, the whole crowd busts up laughing. And for a moment, I'm really attuned to people's body language. For a moment, I'm like, this guy's going to kill everyone. Or he's just enraged. And then he had to laugh at himself. Then he pulls out money and paid the guy. I thought, this is a bizarre world we live in. He's like, I have to like pay money for that because I need to get out of my shame card. Men, when you are locking up your house at night, you take responsibility for locking up the house. It doesn't mean you lock every single door. It means you are responsible for it. I ensure that my home is locked up. Why? Because I value the, the, the people in my home. They are worth protecting. And because I'm well aware there are people who may want to get into my home that don't belong in my home. So that is a good instinct that we ought to cultivate. Jesus gives us security in himself as the door. Additionally, Jesus provides overseers. He provides under-shepherds that carry on his work. Listen to Paul, one of the apostles, but an elder of churches, okay? He is speaking to the elders at Ephesus, elders plural. There's always a plurality of elders at churches. There's never a single person. He's about to leave, and this is his farewell address in Acts chapter 20, 28. Just listen carefully. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you hear it? Keep watch over them. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Listen to verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Reading this uh, passage as a pastor, as one of the elders here at this church, and that's an interchangeable office, by the way. The warning shows me as a pastor where to keep watch, not just that I'm supposed to keep watch. Where am I supposed to keep watch? There are dangers from within. Are there big, scary enemies out there? Yes. Be sober. Be alert. Be watchful. Every person, I'm a welcoming guy, every person who walks in here is either a sheep, a goat, or a wolf. Maybe a false shepherd would be a fourth category. I'm well aware of that. There are many, many people who are trying to barge in on believers. There are people who are trying to sneak into believers. There are just broken, weary people that need loving and care. It takes discernment and paying attention. But we also watch out from within. There are fake sheep, wolves in sheep clothing, people who come in talking a great game, and really they're false shepherds, false teachers, which the Bible speaks repeatedly about. On top of that, do you notice the first thing? We each have a within to guard for ourselves. Let me read it again. Keep watch over yourselves. Shepherds, pastors, elders, community group leaders, parents, keep watch over yourselves. There is a within to guard. Protect it. Pay attention to it. Invest time in it. Then look after the flock you've been entrusted. One of the ways that churches go sideways is a pastor or a parent that is constantly caring for those out there and not tending to their own soul. And little idols creep up, little, little foxes get into the garden, and things are destroyed from within. Keep watch over yourselves, church. And then whatever flock God's given you to pay attention to and tend and nurture, do that as well. So doctrine and practice are vital. Tending to your inner life and being known and accessible by trusted people around you is vital. I believe this is part of why God gives a plurality of leadership around the churches. I have massive blind spots. I need people who are trusted watching out for me, asking me very uncomfortable, difficult questions, and I need to be accessible and known to them. I don't think it's impossible at a massive church, but I think there are temptations at a massive church to, to not be as accessible and not be known. We have other d- dangers here as a smaller church. Let me move on. Security also means authenticity. So there's different kinds of security. One is protection, security guard. The other one's authenticity. Think about a computer. 
Don't you get annoyed sometimes with all the authenticating that needs to go on? Uh, now there's two-way, two-part authentication. Sometimes I'll text you to your phone and all these kind of things. And it's like, it's me! It's really me! But ultimately, if you've ever had a breach of that, you're excited about that. You know, think about boarding a gate at an airport. I was just in an airport a couple days ago, so this is on my mind. At a, at a gate boarding, they want to be really clear on security, passing through security at airport, but also on authenticity. Who's supposed to be walking through this gate onto the airplane? And you have to have a scan, have to have a, you know, whatever. And so to say, hey, yeah, it's really me coming through here. Little side note, it matters what gate you're sitting at, right? <laughs> right? Like it matters. There's other gates. There's other options. Verse 1, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. I went through my excruciating commute uh, on the way home from work a couple, couple weeks ago, about a half, half mile or so. And I came home to find two males snooping on my side yard. As I pull into my driveway, right on my side yard, there's two males, and it looked like they might be trying to get into my backyard. It's weird because I wasn't related to these males. I have some males that are around that that I live with. Then I saw them engaging in conversation with my 10-year-old child above on the balcony. So immediately I'm on alert as to what's going on. Now, to kind of paint the picture some more, what made it not so scary is the two males were about 10 years of age. So I thought, you know, if things get really hairy, I can probably take these guys, right? So I get out of the car, kind of get my phone, get my stuff. I get out. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? I'm looking at Eli. I'm looking down at these two guys. I've never seen these guys before in my life. And this is the beauty of just children in general. You just never know what a day is going to bring. I go, what's up, guys? Why are you at my house? They're like, well, we launched our rocket, and we think it's on your roof or in your backyard. So we're just going door to door. I'm like, well, let me get this straight. You launched a rocket like from how far? Where do you guys live? Oh, we live, and they described it like a couple streets away. And they have pinpointed it to my roof or my backyard. I'm like, well, sweet. Let's get on Operation Rescue. Let's find your rockets, right? So immediately, threat is lessened. I'm not in protection mode anymore. Let me say it this way. Jesus is like your dad at your house. He uses the door. He goes in and out freely because he belongs there. He's to be trusted. He's not sneaking in. He's not lingering by the side gate in a weird way. He's not climbing over things. He's not testing all the vulnerabilities of your window locks and your doors. He's walking in and out the front door. Jesus doesn't sneak around, and you should be leery of people who do. Jesus routinely said, look, I taught daily in your temple. I was there. I was there for a week before you're here to arrest me in the garden. Why is it being done at night? Why is it being done out of the public view? Because the bad guys, the ones arresting him, they were sneaking around. Jesus doesn't sneak around. Jesus spoke plainly and openly, and he commands his under-shepherds to do the same. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.17. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. There's an authenticity to just not being sneaky or super, you know, super like, theological gymnastics to make the point. As a teacher, I want to keep pointing you back to the Word of God and say, here's where I'm getting this. Look at it. You look at the verses. I don't want to make assumptions. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says this, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Can I just tell you that the preachers who preach at this church are being held to this standard? Congregation, you have, you have a responsibility to be not only... The, the preachers are, are to preach in a biblical way. You are to listen and receive it in a biblical way. Part of that is the guarding of the flock. If I or anyone else up here seems to be not open, open statements of the truth, 
seems to be kind of shady, seems to be kind of, in our words or in our dealings, call us on it. If I don't receive it well, go to the elders. Follow the biblical pattern. So the door is a simple test to see who is legitimate and what is, le- is legitimate. Again, if I ever find someone, if any of you are here to visit me and you're sneaking around my house, we're going to have an issue. Come to my door. That's how you do it. Otherwise, it's weird. I'm immediately on high alert. So when you're asking, is this person in Christ, is Jesus able to be attached to that preaching, to that word, to that action, to that behavior, to that hobby? Yes or no? If it can't, run. You're being deceived. You're being stolen from. You're being robbed. It's a simple test of legitimacy if that person is in Christ or not. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? We pray in Jesus' name. Because we're saying, God, this is what we want. We want, we want your blessing on all that's, that's, that Jesus can be attached to. All right. So first, the door provides security. Secondly, it provides freedom. The door of the sheep provides freedom. So we don't just see Jesus at the start of our faith and then never deal with him again. Jesus is a door. How many times do you see a door in a day? A ton. Every day, all day, you're going in and out of doors. Jesus isn't interested in just getting us safely into heaven. Some people imagine the Christian gospel as, I prayed a prayer, I'm safe, I have my fire, my fire insurance against the fires of hell, and now pretty much I live my life and I'm on like a waiting plan until I die and then I talk to this Jesus again. That's completely foreign to the, to the biblical worldview. It's completely foreign to the life Jesus invites us into. Rather, he invites us into a relationship which involves all of the coming and going of any other relationship. Listen again to this, not as a ticket to heaven, not as a salvation passage, but more as, as a relationship, all the coming and going of a relationship that we live large now not just for some future time. Listen to verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus as the door of the sheep and us as the sheep in that pasture, in that flock, we have incredible freedom. We can come and go as we like. In fact, God gives us the desires of the heart. I would say this. I was a college pastor for a lot of years. People always want to know, what school should I go to? What girl or guy should I be marrying? Where should I live? These different questions. There's some litmus test kinds of things. Are you walking in obedience? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you as a sheep in God's flock dialed into who God is. Yes, absolutely. All those things are true. I'm your pastor. I see that as well. Do what you want. God gives us the desires of our hearts. I was reminded of a girl in my wife's small group who really in junior high wanted to be a missionary in Africa. God put that in her and she just kept having that and and we'd have conversations and her parents had conversations and as she started entering her dating years, as her youth pastor, I'd known this this young woman for a long time, I said, and if any guy comes and wants to dissuade you from that, I am going to remind you of the desires God put in your heart because guys and girls' relationships can sway us pretty quickly. You know who that is? That's Ryan and Amanda Burleson, the missionary couple that we support in Africa right now. God makes our dreams come true. That was a dream born of the Lord. It wasn't hard to say, huh, is God into you giving your life away in service for people in the name of Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's into that. I think that's fair game to march forward. Church, we have incredible freedom as sheep in God's flock to say, God, you've given me this desire. Um, I want to do this. This seems to be in line. My community agrees with it. Go! Go and do that. We can come and go as we like. We can walk in this life always again with an eye on our shepherd, him leading and guiding the way. This coming and going is like covenant language. 
the coming and going of the sheep. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 6 for a second. This is discussing the blessing of obedience. Here's the obedient life. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Here's God as our ultimate shepherd guarding our life, guarding our coming and going from Psalm 121. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from, the, from this time forth and forevermore. Remember, as our shepherd, our ultimate shepherd, the way he cares for his sheep in part is by appointing human under-shepherds, human leaders, which are to carry out the heart and will of the master as junior shepherds, as under-shepherds. Numbers twenty-seven fifteen. Moses appointing. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Do you hear that our interaction with Jesus is more like an owner standing at the door of our apartment, of our house, that every time we go in and out, we're dealing with him. We see him all the time. The door is a picture of something we use every day and can easily take for granted and not pay attention to. Here's a little idea. Some of you are in the habit right now of praying before you eat a meal. I think that's an incredible practice. Most of us don't starve in this country. We're probably eating about three meals a day, maybe more, maybe less. If you're a hobbit, you're eating like seven meals a day. Otherwise, you're praying three times a day, just again, acknowledging things. That's the bread of life. Lord, thank you for the bread of life. Thank you for the deeper ways you fill me. Here's an idea. What if we consider adding a prayer of just being mindful of the blessing and coming and going and watchfulness of a shepherd every single time we touch a door? Wouldn't that be cool? I've been thinking about this. Because I try these things out on myself before I command anyone else to do it. So every time you leave and enter your house, when you lock up at night, I locked up last night and I unlocked this morning with this in my mind. Jesus, you bless my coming and my going. You're aware of, of my coming and going. I thank you for this house that I'm sleeping in tonight. I thank you I have a reason to leave the house. I thank you that I'm physically capable of walking out of these doors myself. That's not a right, that's a privilege. Help me to steward it well today. You see how incredible that is to start your day? Then you go out to your car. If your car happens to have doors, mine typically doesn't, but if you have a car with doors, every time you open that door, every time you get out of that door and get into it, every time you you go in and out of it wherever you're going, be mindful of where you're going with that. Can you attach Jesus to every place you drive your car? God, thank you for this car. Thank you for transportation. Again, it's not a right, it's a privilege. This car is really yours. I'm a steward. I'm a taxi driver for Jesus today. Help me to use this to further all the things you're about. How about every time you come and go to school? How about every time you come and go to your job? How about every time you come and go to a grocery store? Church, this is an opportunity just to think all the time about, Jesus, you're the door. You're blessing my coming and going. You're watching it. You're correcting me. You're protecting me. So the door provides security and great amounts of freedom. By the way, do you know what people long for? Do you know a giant need of the human heart? Security and freedom. Here's a whole interesting study I didn't get to in our community questions. Think about the marriage relationship. If there is security in the relationship of who you are in Christ, you're not trying to grab from your spouse. If there's security in the marriage relationship, how much freedom is there for goodness and blessing? If there's not security, it begins to feel enslaving, doesn't it? How about a world of other things where security and freedom really line up? And, and if you don't have one, uh, you don't have the other, and you start to fight for, for the other. So a little side thing to kind of think about. Here's what I want to close with. I want to close with two ways that this door is very distinct. This door is exclusive. Remember, Jesus as gatekeeper is the guard. He has the authority to let people in and keep people out. As door, Jesus is the only way to God. If and only if you enter by this door, you will find life, salvation, leadership, protection, and abundant pasture. All those things in Psalm 23 that we just sang, go read it again. You will dine in the presence of your enemies under the watchful care of the shepherd. You will find green pastures. He'll lead you beside quiet waters. But it's only through this door. It's very exclusive. There will be lots of pretenders in your life. 
All through your life, you will have lots of pretenders coming and going, plenty of other voices. At the airport, loads of gates, loads of places to go. None passed the test except Jesus. Ultimately, what got him killed is he was the exclusive way to God. That's what he claimed. Ultimately, what will destroy your social life in San Jose, California, is if you claim the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God. That everything else is a pretender. Worse than that, it's actually from the enemy because it's detracting people away from God. That's what may eventually get me in, in jail, is preaching the one way of Jesus. That is a deeply offensive message. That's the exclusivity of this door. How about this? At the same time, the door is incredibly inclusive. The door is exclusive. The only way to God is through Jesus. The door is incredibly inclusive. Who's able to get in? One and all. Do I have a chance? Yes. But I'm a convicted murderer. Yes. I'm a street sweeper who's just rejected God my entire life. Yes. I'm a professor who is taught against the things of God. Yes. Look at all the characters of Scripture. Over and over and over again, repeatedly, the call goes out to one and all. As the bread of life, Jesus says in John 6, 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever may come. As the light of the world, Jesus says in John 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Do you hear how wide this call is, church? The invite goes out to one and all. Jesus obliterates any worldly, fleshly, demonic division that would give class system to those who may be able to get in and those who may not be able to get in. Listen to Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no second row. There's no kids table. There's no stepchildren table. You guys eat over there. We all sit front row with Jesus. Jesus' door of the sheep is incredibly exclusive. Jesus' door of the sheep is incredibly inclusive. I probably don't have time for this, but I'm going to take it. We'll have the band up soon. Just one more second. (laughs) Lucas is like, get me up there. No, he's not really like that. Let me just show you this. Because it's so moving to me. I've been sitting with this. My wife's already heard this sermon three times, so I was so excited about it. By the way, you give a preacher two weeks, I have like six weeks worth of material. But we're going to end it here. This incredible exclusivity and at the same time inclusivity of the Christian gospel is woven throughout history. It is woven throughout the biblical testimony. Do you remember that all of scripture is actually about Jesus? Remember Jesus on the way uh, from from Emmaus, the the road to Emmaus? The morning of his resurrection, he's walking with the two strangers and he opens their minds to the scripture and he pointed out himself tracing back through all of scripture. It's all about him. So we read the Bible looking for him. With that in mind, consider Noah as sort of an archetype of Jesus, okay? Noah is inclusive. Who's invited to get on the ark that he's building year after year after year after year after decade? Who's invited? The whole world. Whosoever may come can come. There's room. Get in here. What happens to his message? Largely goes unheeded. Largely is like understatement. 99.9998 of all the people on the planet not only rejected his message, but mocked him for it. I bet they would call Noah hopelessly out of touch and irrelevant. (laughs) Welcome to being the life of a pastor. You're a pastor? Huh, I don't even know how to talk to you. I don't know that you have anything to do with the world right now. I'm kind of like Noah. It goes unheeded, even though it's incredibly wide open. Noah, as builder of an ark, is incredibly exclusive. How many ways are there to be saved from a worldwide flood, the wrath of God on sin? One! How wide is that ramp? I don't know. Some of you Bible nerds are like, I know how wide it is. The Bible tells us. However wide that path is, that's the path. There was one way in and one way out, one door. That's the exclusive nature of the ark of God. At his master's bidding, Noah builds according to plan, and once the rain starts, what does he do? Closes the door. How important is the door in that moment? Man, there's more, but I'm going to stop there. Friend, the call goes out. If you are not in Christ, if you are not a part of of the flock of Jesus Christ, 
and you hear his invitation today, RSVP, respond. The, the, the true sheep of God are stirred and moved right now. I realize every time I preach, I am preaching to people who this will fall on deaf ears. That was an interesting story about his daughter almost being born in the parking lot of Good Sam. That's all you'll take away from it. That's okay. Every week, though, I am putting the call out. I'm looking into a camera saying, whoever hears, and you hear the shepherd calling. That's the true voice of Jesus. RSVP by faith. Say no to sin. Say yes to the security, freedom, forgiveness that Jesus offers. Get in Christ. I stand in the line of a long line of prophets speaking, calling out God's good news. I stand in the line of Noah, giving you the word of invite and the word of warning from the mouth of my Lord who echoes the urgency of the invitation. Listen to Jesus picking up on this theme. Luke 13. Come on up, band. Strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. They will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are cast out. There is an urgency and warning to Jesus being the door of the sheep. If you're already in Christ, then keep your eye ever on the shepherd. Guard that you keep close to him and then come and go as you please. You have incredible freedom. Savor the good pasture that he gives you. Rest and revel in the security and freedom that he provides. Close your eyes and pray with me. God, thank you for this imagery. I love that you speak in metaphor. You're not a real door, but God, you give us these images that we have to sit and wrestle with and think on. God, it turns out you're everywhere. Doors are everywhere. God, thank you for at a young age calling me and giving me ears to hear as one of your true sheep. God, thank you for placing me in a flock of brothers and sisters, other sheep, God, that desperately need you and and love the freedom and security that we provide. I stand as a guy who's lived a lifetime of this. And God, it's still moving to me. It's right on the surface. God, you didn't call us to club med of sheep. We don't just sit around and eat and have our fill and rest and wait for something to happen. God, you have actually called us to gather with you. And God, we're humbled by that. It shows that we need power greater than our own because sheep can't do much on their own. So God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being the door that provides for us. We love you in Jesus' name.